Thank you for joining us for the Tucson Baptist Church podcast with Pastor Brent Armstrong. This podcast features the messages from the teaching and preaching ministry at our church. Tucson Baptist Church is located in Tucson, Arizona, and we are committed to loving God, growing together, and reaching our community. Ephesians chapter number 6, corporate America is big on slogans, and all you have to do is watch TV, and, and, uh, and, and they're imprinted on your mind. Uh, uh, the heartbeat of America is, of course, what brand? Chevy, that's right. And uh, the choice of a new generation was the Pepsi slogan for many years. And, um, and, and then uh, the Bud Light guy used to croon, I love you, man before they became woke. Over 200 years, uh, over these past 200 years, in the United States Marine Corps, as it was being formed, uh, much time was given to adopting an appropriate motto that would represent this division of our United States military called the Marine Corps. There was a Latin phrase that was finally selected, Semper Fidelis, and since that time, This simple motto has been ingrained into every single man or woman who served in the United States Marine and all my Marines here. It it means this, always faithful. And that motto is not only appropriate for Marines, but I submit to you this morning that that is appropriate for godly men. And I've entitled this morning's message, It's Time to Be a Godly Man. And now, ladies, I had my opportunity with you on Mother's Day, so you get to sit back and gloat this morning. And you can use your elbow, when appropriate, to that fine, good-looking man uh, seated next to you. Now, normally, our services, if you're visiting with us, and thank you for visiting with us, you're watching by live stream, thank you for being with us in live stream. But normally, our services, uh, uh, as we go through the book of Matthew and just completed the book of Revelation, are for all. But this morning, as a singular uh, focus, and that's for all the men of our church, and I didn't say fathers, I said all the men of our church. I say it is time that we have some godly men in the year 2023. Our society is doing everything it can uh, to feminize our women, and it's almost shameful for a man to be a man. And I'm here to say we need some godly men. And our young men need to see some godly men in our older men. And we don't need to dress like women. We don't need to act like women. We don't need to be effeminate. We need to be what God made us to be, men. That's unashamed to be a man. That is always uh, faithful. And our, our Lord and our wives and our kids and our friends, they all expect and need us to always be faithful as men. And we must be faithful regardless of circumstances, and we must be faithful regardless of personal happiness. It's not easy to be a good Marine, but let me say this. It is far less easy to be a godly man. It takes some work, but we need it. And we're looking around and say, well, uh, there are others who can be a godly man. Let me just say, outside these doors, that number is, uh, that percentage is uh, a minuscule. The godly men must come from right here, this group. And with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 6, I'd just like to read uh, some verses for you here. Why is it so difficult to be a godly man? And I'd like to acknowledge why. 
right at the outset of this, uh, this message, the reason it is so difficult is that we have a powerful enemy who's out to keep us from being faithful. He wants to destroy our families. He wants to destroy our church. He wants to destroy everything there is about you. And so I'm calling all men, listen up right now. And if you are Owen, wasn't Owen cute helping dad sing? Boy, he, he helped dad really sing great today. And Owen was awesome. If you're the age of Owen or you're one of the oldest men here, I'm calling all young men and all men to listen up. Spiritual warfare is not an option in the Christian life. Spiritual warfare is not an option in the Christian life. In other words, what I'm saying here is that we don't have to give in to the enemy. And I'd like for you to listen as I read four verses from the Word of God, beginning in verse number 10 of Ephesians chapter 6. The Word of God says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. If any of you have received a note from me this year, you have seen Ephesians 6 and verse number 10 on every card I've written so far this year. Be strong. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against darkness, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that he may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Father, we know we are right now in the evil day. Father, you look down and you look upon all of the young men and the men who are seated here today, and you know if we are godly or not. So, Father, I'm asking that you help each one of us to do a personal examination and help us to be able to stand. Father, help this preacher to only say those words which you would approve of and hide me behind your cross as we preach this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Note in verse number 11, the Bible says very specifically that we are to stand against the wiles of the devil. Now that word wiles, it means schemes. Uh, it comes from a Greek word, methodia, uh, which uh, means strategies of deceit. It's a word picture, if you will, of a bandit who lies in a wait to attack passerbyers. By way of introduction, let me share with you some Four strategies of how the evil one, four strategies of deceit that the devil is using to destroy you men. God, God wants you to hear this this morning. The devil is trying to destroy you. And here's how he does that. Satan wants to divide your family spiritually. Satan wants to divide your family spiritually. Men, he will distract you from praying with your wives and your children, from reading scripture, from discussing spiritual needs in your home. Uh, he will do everything he can to keep you from being active in church. And he wants to take away your God-given influence as the spiritual leader in your home. So I ask you, how are you doing? Satan wants to divide your home spiritually. Secondly, Satan wants to divide your family sentimentally. Satan wants to divide your family sentimentally. He wants to make you emotionally numb to your family. He wants you to come home, turn on the TV, and check out. He wants you to ignore your family. He wants you to forget to kiss your wife and hug your kids. He wants uh, uh, them to think of you as distant and unapproachable. Men, how are you doing? There's a third 
deceit strategy that Satan will use in our homes today in 2023. Not only does he want to divide your family in areas of spirituality, and he wants to divide your family sentimentally, but Satan wants to divide your family sexually. He wants to fill your mind with images of Baywatch babes and soft, uh, soft core porn. And here's our reaction. I'm just a guy. This is normal. Well, sexuality may be normal, but it's not godly and it's not healthy for maintaining strong relationships. And then the next step becomes harder porn. And then it's looking as women as sexual objects. And before long, uh, then the whole family is destroyed. And you say, oh, that makes me feel so uncomfortable for you to talk that way in church. May I just tell you that that is the deceit of Satan. And the fact is, is that if we talked about it more in church, we'd have less problems. There's a fourth strategy that the devil will do to de destroy your family, and Satan wants to divide your family substantially. Satan wants to divide your family substantially. Satan has won his greatest victory when he causes you to move out. He wants your kids to be raised without your influence, without your presence. He wants your children uh, not to see you physically, because you've been removed. The tragedy is that most people don't even recognize these strategies of the enemy. And faithful men understand them. And faithful men will develop counter strategies to defeat these. Now there is absolutely no need for me to go on and finish this message. If you do not understand, Satan has a plan to destroy your family through these four things I just mentioned. And if you're not willing to put up some guards, if you're not willing to put up some hedge, hedges of protection, then it does not matter what the rest of this message is. Satan has already won the victory. These are the four strategies for Satan to defeat and destroy your family. Now listen to me. He's done a pretty good job. Would there be anyone who could even disagree? Satan has done a great job in all four areas of destroying Family. So as I begin this message, please remember, Satan is a future defeated enemy. And Jesus ultimately defeated him on the cross. And Jesus, and we, and we, no, John said, greater is he, Jesus, that's in you than he that is in the world. Even though Satan is ultimately defeated, he today is a powerful enemy. He's more powerful than you. And by the way, if you do not have the Holy Spirit of God living within you as a believer, as a Christian, may I just say, Satan will destroy you. Our only defense is the fact that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us and can convict and correct and convince us how to live properly. I remind you, that the Bible says this, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion. He walks about. He is pacing back and forth. He is looking for the next person that he can absolutely devour and destroy. So make no mistake. He will devour. He will wreak destruction on your family and your wife and your kids and your grandkids unless you develop a battle plan and you develop some tactical strategies to defeat him. Men, I'm preaching to you unapologetically today, but I want you to use your creative imagination for just a moment. Let's take your family album, and I want you to open it. 
And I want you to picture with me as you open that and you see pictures of you and your wife before she was your wife. Oh, she was so young and thin, beautiful in your eyes. And as you turn the page, then you see, oh, there's your wedding pictures in that big hair. <laughs> you remember, you were so nervous, you almost threw up. Uh, uh, John asked me on Tuesday night, am I supposed to feel this way? I feel really nervous. I'm sweating. and I, uh, Yeah, you're supposed to feel that way. It's a good thing. As you're adjusting your bifocals right now, looking into your proverbial album, you see a picture of your first house. You turn the page again, and, and oh my, she was so big when she was pregnant. Oh, your firstborn, look at that. You'll never forget holding your first child in your arms and that very first time, baby pictures. There's, there's first steps, and there's, there's first grade, and there's first birthday, and, and, and there... There you are, Christmas. Oh, man, Christmas is fun times. Oh, there's my daughter. She's 16. Young, beautiful, full of life. There you are. You're hugging your boy. Yeah, that's a good one. He's so handsome in his cap and gown, so proud. He finally graduated from college. Oh, there's the pictures of your cruise and the wife. On your 25th anniversary, remember those starry nights and uh, remember those romantic nights. Oh, to be newlyweds again. Turn the page. Oh, there's your first grandchild. Oh, boy. Uh, turn a few more pages. There's, wait, there's grandchildren. And, oh, there's Jenny being baptized. She's eight, your youngest grandchild. And, oh, how sweet and adorable that was. And, listen, wait. My children are saved. My in-law children are saved, my grandchildren are saved, and, and you just sit back and you hug that album, and with a sweet embrace, you just thank God for what he's done in your family. I wish that would be true for all. The number is actually very few, and getting smaller each day. Men, your family is depending on you on your faithfulness, on your standing against the schemes of the evil one. So very quickly in the time that I have, let me give you four strategies how you can defeat. The devil has strategies. Well, let's learn how we can defeat this, the devil. And the strategy number one, we must be faithful with your talents. Be faithful with your talents. This includes your energies and your abilities. And what I've discovered is that most men give themselves totally to their work. And when men meet each other, uh, the first question they ask, hey, what is your name? My name is Brent. My name is John. And the second question is always this, what do you do? And as men, we identify ourselves not by uh, who we are, but by what we do. And when someone asks me question number two, I say, I'm the pastor of Tucson Baptist Church. Unashamedly, I am so thankful that I can serve as the pastor at Tucson Baptist Church. But let me just say, you know what I should say? Hey, what is your name? My name is Brent. What do you do? I am Shelly's husband, and, and I am Benjamin and Jennifer and Jonathan's dad. I'm a dad. That's what I do. Think with me, guys. 
We spend at least 40 hours per week at work, and some of us maybe even more than that. And when we're not at work, we're often preparing for work. We're thinking about work. We're having stress-induced, nervous breakdowns because of our work. Work is always on our mind. You know what? Our work should simply be this, a means to an end. It should enable us to provide for our family's physical needs and give us a productive outlet for our abilities. Too often it's the other way around. Instead of work enabling us to use our energies and abilities to make a, a positive impact on society and to provide for our families, our work comes first and our families come second. Even the most noble of professions must be secondary to our families. I have not been a perfect father in my entire life. I think probably most of us would say that. But I can remember many times that I sat through a countless evening of discipleship or Bible Institute, or I sat through an evening of counseling only to come home and find my children tucked in their beds without their father having been able to pray with them before they went to sleep. And if this church leads a thousand people to the Lord, and this church disciples 800 of those people that they've led to the Lord, and if my children were to have grown up without knowing their dad, can I say, hey, I've been phenomenally successful? No, not at all. And I'm so thankful that I have a relationship this day with my children, but let me, let me just say, it is by God's grace that they are where they are and not because of Brent Armstrong. So with that in mind, let me use a biblical illustration found in the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, the, there's a legacy of a man who gave himself totally to his work. And his name was Eli. He was a great priest of God in Israel, and he offered sacrifices for all the people and was well known by everyone. He was sort of the national pastor of Israel, if you will. He was supremely successful. He was highly respected. But Eli had how many sons? Two. Eli had two sons who followed in their daddy's footsteps. And they became priests too in 1 Samuel chapter uh, 1 and verse number 3. And what could make a father more proud? While Eli's boys were growing up, he had been busy in his noble profession. And he preached and he taught the whole nation to worship and to honor God. Yet at the same time, the Bible indicates that he ignored his family. In 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse number 12, it says that his boys were corrupt. Further, it says these damning words. Words that we would never, ever, ever, ever want to be said of our children. The Bible says that Eli's sons knew not the Lord. How is that even remotely possible that his sons could have grown up in that environment and they did not know or have a relationship with the Lord? And though their father led many people to know the Lord, he ignored his two sons. And in and, and 1 Samuel, uh, there's this, uh, if we were to read through in verses 13 through 16, it tells us that when meat was brought for the sacrifices, that his sons would take uh, the best portions for themselves. In other words, they robbed God in the sacrifices. Uh, this is equivalent to a pastor taking what he wants from the offering plate. That's why I don't touch the offering plate. Oh, we don't even pass offering plates. There's offering boxes if you never heard about it. 
at the exit of each door. But there's other men who collect those. Um, Listen to this commentary in verse number 17. Wherefore the sin of the young men was so very great before the Lord, for men abhorred the offering of the Lord. Verse number 22 speaks of how they lay with the women who came to the temple. And verses 22 and verse 23, Eli speaks to his sons about their sin, but does not stop them. Well, there was a prophet who came to Eli from the Lord and pronounced judgment upon him and uh, his household. Would you listen to these verses? And this shall be a sign unto thee that shall come upon thy two sons, on Hophni and Phinehas. In one day they shall die, both of them. And I will raise me up a faithful priest that shall do according to that which is in mine heart and in my mind. And I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before mine anointed forever. And God, the God of heaven, brought judgment not only on the sons but also on the father because he put his work before his family. Now the outcome of men who give of themselves totally to their work. I want you to listen please, men. When you're 85 years of age, you will not wish that you had spent more time at work. You will not wish that you, you had spent more time on your hobbies. What you will wish is that I'd spend more time with my family. And when you reach the end of your life, the important issues will not be how much money do I have in the bank. The important issues will not be how much property do I own. The important issues will be this. Does my family know God? Do they have a relationship with God? Oh, we need to live right now with an eye to eternity, and we need to be training and teaching our children. Strategy number two is that we must be faithful with our temperament. We need to be faithful with your temperament. Men, this includes your mind and your body, and we must be faithful with our minds. I want us to understand that sexual temptation is a real temptation that enters into the mind of every man. Because the Bible says this in James chapter 1, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. Do not err, my beloved brother. Now, ladies, we must understand that sexual temptation is a part of every man's mind. Someone said it this way. Sow a thought, reap an act. Sow an act, reap a habit. Sow a habit, reap a character. Sow a character, reap a destiny. And men... We must put up some guards. We must put up some boundaries in our mind. We can overcome most sexual temptation in our minds. And listen to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. These verses should be committed to memory by every young man, every college-age young man, and every man in this auditorium. If you... If you, at the very least, at least read them, circle this in your notes. Every man should listen to these verses. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Men, we have a responsibility to bring every thought into obedience.
And we must learn to bring every thought into the obedience of Christ. Guys, we have to be aggressive in combating mental temptation. I remember a few years ago, and uh, if you enjoyed boxing, uh, uh, in that great golden era of boxing, when Evander Holyfield uh, beat the awesome, mighty, powerful uh, uh, Mike Tyson. It was, uh, it was uh, one of those pay-per-view fights, and we didn't find out to the next day what happened. Um, uh, but I promise you this, when you watch that fight, Evander did not beat uh, Mike Tyson by dancing around the rings and hoping that he could get through 12 rounds. Then if you watch that fight, Tyson was undefeated, and, and Evander Holyfield, he took the fight to Tyson. Guys, we must take the fight to the enemy. We cannot stand by the sidelines and hope that he doesn't tempt us. Take the fight to the enemy. When a magazine cover and a TV show and a movie and an internet site and a social media site, when they tempt you, remember, it's time for battle. Bring into captivity, bring into captivity those thoughts to the obedience of Christ. Here's the best counsel perhaps that I ever heard about combating temptation. The next time you look lustfully upon a woman, stop and pray for her. That's a novel thought. We need to be faithful with our lips as well. And a godly man simply doesn't flirt. He doesn't make jokes about getting together with other women. He doesn't use sexual language when talking to other women. A faithful, godly man will build up, not destroy. He doesn't, he do, he doesn't try to tear down. May I just say that we've got to be faithful with the words that come off of our lips. We need to be faithful with our hands. When I was a kid, my mom would say, keep your hands to yourself. Well, that was probably not in this context because I was always needling and bothering my two sisters. But it's still good advice for men. And as a pastor, uh, you, you will often see me give a one-arm hug. And even when the young girls, they get ready to go to kids' play, they want to give me a hug, and I just skirt to the side and give a one-arm hug to be an example, to also never have a rock or a stone uh, thrown my way that I am inappropriately touching someone like the President of the United States. <laughs> Physical touch is appropriate as long as it is there to encourage and to uplift. We need to be faithful with our feet. Sometimes we've got to be like Joseph. We've got to run away from sexual temptation when it becomes strong. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians, flee, run away, flee fornication. He that committed fornication sinneth against his own body. In the words of Simon and Garfunkel, get on the bus, Gus, make a new plan, stand, drop off the key, and get yourself free. Well, that was for all the older people here, okay? Some of the younger people have no idea what I was just talking about. I just had to do something to wake you up because there's some men that are seething angry at me right now. Strategy number three. Be faithful with your time. Be faithful with your time. Men, this strategy includes all of your opportunities. Men are prone to filling their time with constant activity. 
I don't mean we're always busy. I like to be a, a couch potato sometimes, but most men work hard at their work and work hard at their play. And, and we have an intense urge to fill any limited time that we have away from work and responsibilities with the same sense of accomplishment. And don't get me wrong, a diversion uh, uh, from time to time can be healthy, but I'm talking about an obsession where we spend all of our waking hours waiting and dreaming of what we can uh, do next and what we can get away with and what we like to do. And the trouble is that most of these activities take away precious, valuable time and opportunities away from our families. Do you know, even to this day, sometimes uh, Jonathan, your pastor Jonathan, and I would just get in a car and we'll go driving and get a drink or, or I, I, we, one of us have to run, of the, uh, run an errand and, and we'll just go hang out in, in a car and, and drive to go do something and, and we'll talk as friends. I still love spending time with my children, even though they're all grown and married and now have grandchildren. But may I just say, time is fleeting away. Time is running away. Our time with our children and grandchildren is almost gone. Dads, we get so busy doing pointless things that we fail to capitalize on the time and opportunities that we have with our children. And as in the case of Eli, even the work of the Lord is not as important as time spent with your children. That sounds like, uh, that sounds like heretical to say. But if you lose your family, you've lost everything. Someone told me of over here hearing two little four-year-old boys talking. One asked, do you have a daddy? The other boy nodded his head, yes. Does he live here? I don't ever see him. The other boy responded, no, my daddy doesn't live here. He just sleeps here. Dads, let me ask you a hard question. On an average, how much time do you spend with your children in a day? A quick dinner before you sit down in front of the TV? An hour or so on Saturday? How much time do you spend working on your other interests without spending any time with your children? This is a damning, alarming survey that was done. They did a survey where they surveyed a little over 1,000 fathers and they asked them to spend how much interpersonal time they had with their children um, uh, uh, for middle school. So that's 6th, uh, 7th, and 8th with their middle school students each day. Here was, out of 1,000 respondents, here was the final conclusion. Are you ready for this? Dad spin for 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, an average of 37 seconds per day with their children. A few minutes before school, another study reported that preschoolers watch between 30 and 40 hours of TV per week. Who is raising our children? Ephesians 5 and verse 16 simply says this, that we are to be redeeming the time because these days are evil, and that is especially true with our families. Uh, the devil wants to snatch away your children through, through any type of electronic uh, uh, a contraption that he can come up with. Uh, the devil wants to make dads too busy uh, to interact with their children. Uh, I, I love it. Um, uh, going back to Pastor Jonathan, and, and uh, 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 Pastor Jonathan, he has... Uh, a little side business he does on Tuesdays, his off day, and, 
and uh, and so uh, we stopped by the house there a, a couple of days ago, and and um, and Raylan, our, our, his oldest uh, a child, uh, she's a four, and so uh, she says, "I get to help my daddy," and she. Uh, hopped up on the mattress. She says, I get to sit right here while daddy, uh, 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 while he uh, wraps the mattress. And uh, I'm so thankful that even though he has this side job that he's incorporating his children to be part of it, be part of dad. May I just say, you can always find a way to incorporate your children. Um, Whether whether it's taking them with you, they're not a nuisance if you take them with you to the grocery store or to Lowe's or Home Depot and they spend that time with you. I think sometimes we love the idea that we, we can say, I'm a dad, but we don't like spending time. And that is not healthy. Whew, it's getting quiet in here. Be faithful, number four, strategy to overcome the devil. Be faithful with your training. Be faithful with your training. This includes your soul and spirit. It's going to take your whole being to have a successful family. Godly dads expect to raise godly children. May I say that again? Godly dads expect to raise godly kids. Proverbs 22 and verse 6 is a familiar verse to many of us. Train up a child in the way he should go. When he is old, he will not depart from it. It's one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of the Bible. Because most of us think this verse means this. And we'll quote this verse. Hey, listen, as long as I make sure my children are in church and they're in Kid Planet and they go to VBS and they go to junior camp and they go to senior camp, guess what? They're going to turn out. That's how most families interpret Proverbs 22 and verse number 6. That's a misinterpretation. It's a delusion. And may I just tell you that we're here to help come alongside and support what dad should be doing as a godly dad to support his family. And I've talked with dozens of parents, heartbroken parents, because their children have turned their backs on their parents' faith and values, and they'll say something like this, Pastor, we always took them to church. Dad is the head of your home, and as the spiritual leader of your family, you've got to realize that church is not uh, responsible for bringing up your child in the faith. You are. The church is here to assist. Your children are your responsibility. Ladies, you can say amen. A father's greatest responsibility is to pass on his faith to his children. May I just say that? A father's greatest responsibility is to pass on his faith to his children. That's where Eli failed. Remember, dads, for those of us with young children, we should be praying and longing for the day when those children accept Jesus as their Savior. I have eight grandchildren. Every single morning of every single day, of every single week, of every single month, I pray to the God of heaven that today might be the day that one of my grandchildren understand Jesus and and, uh, and understand their need of a Savior and that they would get saved at an early age every day but then I have to pray for my children to be able to be the ones to be the testimony to my children or to my grandchildren and so it causes me a profound sense of responsibility as a grandparent to pray for my children and my grandchildren in conjunction with each other frankly speaking it will be okay if someone else leads one of my grandchildren to the Lord that will be okay but one of the greatest joys will be able to hear my children say Tonight, on the couch, we were able to lead one of our children to the Lord. 
that it came from the home. It's impossible to lead someone closer to God when you are not there yourself. An old preacher said it this way, you can't any more lead someone to be closer to God than you are. Then you can come back from somewhere you ain't never been. So I ask you, how can we faithfully, spiritually thrive in our homes? Have you ever watched a relay race? You know, the sprinters, they run a quarter around the track, and they, there's something called a baton, and they pass that baton. Dad's in the same way as a relay race. You're going to one day pass the baton of your faith to your children. A grandfather passes it to your father, and then your father passes it to you, and one day you will pass it to your children, and it should happen generation after generation after generation. In a relay race, the most difficult part, though, is passing the baton. The most difficult part is the action of passing the baton. The trust that must be there, the commitment that is there in that handoff. Dads, it's a big responsibility. How in the world do I pass the baton? Model number one, a Christ-like life. I'm going to pass that baton one day. I must model a Christ-like life. What you do is far more important than what you say. Number two, you must take the spiritual leadership in your home. Talk about God. Establish a family devotional time or a Bible study time, a prayer time. Your children should not go to bed without praying with mom and dad. And dad, if you are there, you should be praying with your children. Pray with and in front of your children if you want to pass the baton. Pray with and in front of your children. Your children will learn to talk to God as they hear you talk to God. Sometimes I fear that our children's view of God is nothing more than God bless this food, amen. Your children should hear you talk to God. Their most basic understanding of the significance of prayer and a personal relationship with Christ is what they see and hear in you. And finally this morning, make worship a priority. Most of us will not let our kids miss school unless they are deathly ill. But many times, we will find reasons for missing church. Semper Fidelis says this, always faithful. I ask you, men, how are you doing? If the photo album of your life, if we go back to that, with your family were to close today, would you be pleased with the job you've done? Oh, I didn't say you'd be perfect. I am definitely far from perfect. I, I've had to apologize to my children before. But with God's help, God's grace, He can do and overcome the mistakes we make as parents. I wonder this, though, if God were to look down at you I said the title of the message, it's time to be a godly man. I'd like to ask you, as God is looking down right now, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Does he see a godly man? The God of heaven looks down. Jesus Christ seated on the right hand. The Holy Spirit of God living within you. Do they, the Trinity, do they see a godly man. Do you know Jesus Christ is your personal Lord and Savior? 
Are you striving to be what you should be? I beg you today to make it right with God.